Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. This is Julian Glover. In Last Crusade, I chose poorly. But you have chosen wisely because you are listening to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. Hey there, action, adventure, sci-fi, and comic book fans. Welcome to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. I'm your host, Joe Stuber. And if you're listening to this episode on the premiere date, Saturday, September 23rd, well... Okay, I'm here in the lair, but I'm also at the Cincinnati Comic Expo, hopefully meeting up with, yeah, the one and only Julian Glover. He is one of the honored guests in Cincy this weekend. I previewed the event on last week's show, so hopefully you heard that. Again, if you're listening to this episode of Comic Book Central on the premiere date and you're in Ohio, head over to the Cincinnati Comic Expo this weekend. Tap me on the shoulder. Say hey. Head over to Julian Glover's table. Meet up with a legend, man. It is going to be a great show. And in the weeks ahead right here on Comic Book Central, I'm going to be bringing you some audio from the show. So I'm scheduled to moderate a couple of Q&As, going to walk the floor, chat with some talented folks who bring comic books to life, as I always do. Uh, So we'll see what I can record, and then I'll be bringing that to you. Now, if you weren't able to make it out to the Cincinnati Comic Expo this year, never fear, Stuberman is here, and so is Julian Glover. Before he hopped a flight from the UK to the Queen City, we were able to sit down and chat about a lot of things. That conversation is coming your way in just a moment. First, a reminder, if you want to catch those upcoming episodes of Comic Book Central, I mentioned Cincinnati Comic Expo coming up so much more uh, in the weeks ahead. You can find all the episodes at the website. Don't forget, comicbookcentral.net. So they're all there in the archive. Everything's posted there. But you're also going to want to click that iTunes icon on the homepage, top right there on the website. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show. That way, when these episodes drop, they're going to drop right into your earbuds. Uh, If you're on iTunes, please be so kind as to leave a review. Always appreciate that. If you're not on iTunes, Blueberry and Stitcher, you can find the lair there as well. Social media, I post the show and much more on my Facebook and Twitter feeds every week. Facebook.com slash Comic Book Central Network. Don't forget the network. Get the right place there. Twitter at Comic Book CTRL. Tons of pics from my recent visit to Terrificon. They're out there. Cincinnati picks, they're going to be headed there as well. So, uh, And don't forget to share the lair on social media when you see these posts. Share them with your friends, family, all your comic book loving friends. Hey, Star Wars, James Bond, Indiana Jones, Game of Thrones. Man, we've got most of the pop culture world covered with today's show. Check this out, and then I'm going to be right back to chat with the legendary Julian Glover. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Julian was born in Hampstead, London, England, trained at the National Youth Theatre, performed with the Royal Shakespeare Company, 
and throughout the 60s and 70s became a very familiar face on British television in shows like Doctor Who, The Avengers, and The Saint, opposite a pre-James Bond Roger Moore. Now, the 80s brought a string of high-profile genre roles, including General Veers in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, he's the one that leads the Imperial Walker assault on Hoth. Christados, the Bond villain, once again matching wits with Roger Moore in one of the greatest Bond films of all, For Your Eyes Only. And, of course, Walter Donovan, the, spoiler alert, Nazi sympathizer who gets Harrison Ford globe-hopping, looking for his dad, and the Holy Grail in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, over the course of six decades, Julian has not only been one of the busiest actors around, he is one of the greatest character actors of all time, blending chameleon-like into one role after another, including a six-season run on Game of Thrones. Now, my guest today, he is a true acting legend. He's given us one memorable performance after another over the course of six decades. Comedy, drama, sci-fi, action, adventure, he does it all. A huge welcome to Julian Glover. Mr. Glover, welcome to Comic Book Central. <laughs> you exaggerate my talents, but thank you very much. I do not exaggerate your talent. My goodness. Look, I've been watching you, so I, I think I've been watching you for quite a while. Um <laughs> I've been around quite a while. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's what happens when you're when you're around for quite a while. Look, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Cincinnati Comic Expo. You're going to be coming into my backyard. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm I'm told it's a very exciting convention, and uh, so so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, it's huge! It's awesome. I've been there several times. I love it. Um, how many of these shows do you get to attend a year, and how far have you been traveling to see your fans? Well, um, it depends. The number of shows I do depends on what I work, because I'm still, thank God, I'm still a working actor. And, and so I have to be quite careful. So I, whenever I, I'm approached about one, I have to say, uh, if I'd like to do it, yes, I'd like to do it. However, I must have a get-out clause, because um, if, a, if a proper job comes up, by proper job, you know what I mean, an oh, yeah. acting job, um, then, of course, I will do that instead. This sometimes happens, but not very often. Um, I'm doing more now because um, I'm older, and the parts uh, in any film or t television play or, f or, or theater play uh, are, get rarer and rarer when you're my age. Uh, so I, I'm doing more conventions, and I'm very lucky because I've been in these very well-known uh, franchises. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, which is very fortunate for me now, which means I can pick up a few, uh, a, few a few pounds or dollars <laughs> or whatever it is I'm in, uh, euros and uh, all those things, pesetas and uh, <laughs> a little bit, uh, a little bit more than the two hundred pounds you made for Star Wars, right? Well, the, you, you've heard this, obviously. Yes, uh, <laughs> I think I was. I think I got two hundred pounds for Star Wars. Yeah, he did. Uh, which would be what? About two hundred fifty dollars. Well, they got the, uh, about two seventy-one right now. Yeah, uh, they got their money's worth <laughs> out of you. I'll tell you that. Uh, well, uh, but uh, that—that's what I got, and because uh, <laughs> I think I only did about five days on it, uh, just a, yeah. just a week's work, uh, along with all the rest of us. Uh, sort of uh, admirals and generals and whatever <laughs> the we were. Fleet. Um, uh, and uh, it was quite enjoyable, a bit boring. We had a lot of st standing around to do. Um, but we had no idea what was going to happen. But since then, of course, it yeah. being such a smash hit and uh, uh, a franchise, I, I was saying to my wife today, I think that that, that franchise 
uh, will certainly go on for another 20, 25 years. Um, because already, uh, when I go to conventions, young children are coming up having seen the first three and the later ones, uh, but still, they all still say those first three were great. And the kids say it, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds say that. And so obviously their parents are bringing them up in a sort of tra- tradition yeah. of, uh, of Star Wars. Uh, and that's very. And I think also when those children grow up a bit, uh, a Game of Thrones will last in people's memories uh, for well, I think a good ten years more. It, it'll be constantly repeated and uh, and and played all over the world because it's it's such an extraordinary piece. So I'm really lucky to have been in those things so that I can now, in my advanced age earn a few pounds. Those kids are going to have to grow up a lot more to watch Game of Thrones, though. Yes, they've got to get to 16. <laughs> yes, so at we least reckon that's... 16. But sometimes when people come to my counter at these conventions, I say, I hope he hasn't seen it. And they say, well, uh, well you know, he's 14 now, and uh-huh. I think it's okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. your kid. <laughs> that's your kid. He's right. It's not your job to raise him. It's just your, your job to entertain, uh, entertain the world. Um, look, we mentioned you've been in just about everything. We're going to get into some of these things today. Um, when your fans do meet you at these conventions, like you say, you've been doing a bunch, what do they want to hear about the most? What are you finding that people ask you about the most? Well, this uh, uh, varies, and you never know before you go. If it's a Doctor Who convention, uh, which I've done two of, as you may know, um, they ask me questions about everything else, uh, (laughs) as well as Doctor Who. Uh, If it's a general sci-fi convention... Uh, they ask me about all of them, but there's always a bias on one side. Suddenly it's Star Wars on one, and then suddenly it'll be Indiana Jones on another, uh, and then it'll suddenly be Star Wars, it'll be, it'll be Game of Thrones or Harry Potter. Uh, you never know which the bias is going to do, yeah. go. And at the end of the day, you always say to your um, person who's helping you at the table my god they were all uh, star wars this time but last time i was in cincinnati or, or where i wherever i was um it was it was it was all game of thrones mm. so you never really know which way they always have a problem people when they come to the conventions because i've done so many bloody <laughs> things in my life what do you get signed right like what do you what if, like if you got 20 things about how do you put 20 things in front of julian glover right <laughs> what in well, the world are you going to uh, say? All I know is that when people line up, they have a problem, and sometimes they yeah. go away because they're so confused. <laughs> uh, they say, I don't know which one to choose. They say, well, I say, well, why don't you buy one of each? Uh, <laughs> but that never works. <laughs> That's a great technique. <laughs> uh, uh, it, 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 is, it is very interesting to, to see which way they jump, and you never, as I say, you never know, according to which place you're in, which way they're going to jump. That's a great technique. But it doesn't matter. I don't care which way they jump because I've enjoyed doing all these films. And, and, I, and this is really true. It's not just because I'm talking to you now. I really enjoy meeting uh, the fans because they're all there because they really want to be there. Yeah. And so you get a proper appreciation uh, of what they, they feel about it and about you and about all sorts of other things, too. And you don't get that vibe on the set. When you're in the set, you, you're, what, you're, you, you don't get that vibe when you're on set. You're in such a vacuum. You don't get to see how it impacts 
everybody you else. Don't. It's, it's not like live theatre, which, of course, yeah. you may know is my first uh, love. I don't know about love. It's the thing I prefer, much prefer to do from all the media. Um, and I do all the media. I do radio broadcasts and recitals and things like that, poetry recitals. And I do a hell of a lot of Shakespeare. But, blah, 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 blah. but um, <laughs> the theatre is the main one that I want to do mm. and it, it, it is quite right that when you're on the set for doing i don't know game of thrones or whatever it is uh, it's it, it has its enjoyable moments but it, it's mostly as you've heard from everybody else you ever talked to who's an actor it's quite boring sitting around <laughs> and you have to produce the, the goods very quickly indeed uh, little tolerance for you for getting your lines although the lighting cameraman can get it wrong 16 times mm. um uh, so it's not so satisfying because you, obviously you don't have the human connection um, and you're thrilled to bits if there, there's a murmur of approval after you've done a, a, a particular take on something. You say, oh, that's my audience. And I obviously have done, I've done quite well there, but normally they're completely silent. Next one, okay, stand by for... <laughs> what makes a great character actor? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, being Alec Guinness, I should think. <laughs> you know what? I kind of knew you were going to go there. I kind of knew uh, you were going to go there. Was he one of your inspirations? Well, he's someone who I infinitely admired. I mean, I didn't base myself on him. Mm. Um, I, I don't think you can do that, really. You can take hints from uh, from, from certain actors uh, about certain techniques. Uh, oh, yes, that's a good idea. Um, yes, oh, I could use that. Uh, but you don't base yourself on, well, I don't, on any particular actor. You you, you simply admire someone like Alec Guinness, mm. um, who seemed, seemed in his day to be able to do anything. Mm. Um, and now uh, Mark Rylance is uh, another one who is, is a really great actor and can do anything. He's, he, he's always completely different. And, uh, uh, oh, he's a wonderful actor. Don't start me on him. <laughs> what do you? What is it that you like about him the most? Like, what do you? What appeals well, to you the most? His work. I, whenever he comes onto the screen, onto the stage, I, I just know I'm in a I'm in a good place. Mm. Uh, in the theatre, I've, I've worked with him for years um, at the Globe Theatre, which he ran in London. Shakespeare's reconstruction, the re, reconstruction of Shakespeare's Globe, um, which he ran for ten years. Um, I knew him very well then, and then he goes on and does fantastic films, uh, which he does, uh, uh, where he's completely different from anything he's ever done before. Uh, well, that's what I admire about him. He, he can turn his hand to anything. and he, He's always completely original in anything he does. He, he never follows any trend. He does what he does, and um, it's always absolutely terrific. Well... He's a sort of modern Alec Guinness for me. Hmm. You got the you got the acting bug initially from a school production of Gilbert and Sullivan, correct? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I first of all uh, at school was asked to play Mark Antony and Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare, which was a, a, a very unusual sort of production. It was for those days very unusual in that it was modern dress. We did it outdoors and uh, all that. And I, I had no idea about acting before then. I had no idea 
that I could ever do anything like that. But they showed me because I, I was I'm rather good at reading out loud because I did quite a lot of it for my little brother, um, uh, reading stories and all that. So I was good at reading out loud, but I had no idea about acting. Anyway, I did that, and that was tremendously exciting. But as you say, the thing that really got me going was a, a Gilbert and Sullivan offer of, a play, of a, an opera called Iolanthe, in which there is a, a very famous, what we call a patter song, a sort of Danny Kaye number. <laughs> and, um, and I did that quite well, and I came back home and sang... I now know what I want to do. And my parents, instead of going, oh, my God, he wants to be an actor. What the hell are we going to do with him? <laughs> fell on my neck with gratitude because they had a 15-year-old who knew what he wanted to do. Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, and particularly these days now, it's getting rarer and rarer that people know what they want to do mm. uh, in their early teens. You know, it usually takes a university course or whatever, and, and they get a degree, and they don't know what to do with a degree, and, and uh, it, it's it's much more uh, uncertain what people are going to choose to do nowadays because they they don't have any direction. I don't know why they don't, but they don't. Um, but anyway, I found acting at 15, and then uh, went through the usual hoops to become one. And you worked um, early on with Laurence Olivier. It was quite early on, yes, in the 50s. Wow. Um, <laughs> late 50s. I went to Stratford-on-Avon, where Shakespeare was born, as you know, and uh, which is the sort of seat of the Royal Shakespeare Company. I went there as a, a walk-on actor. Um, it was all anybody wanted to do then, just to go to Stratford, just to be on stage with all those people and to be doing Shakespeare. God! And I did three seasons there, and one of the plays was Coriolanus, with Laurence Olivier, oh. which was absolutely amazing. And um, Albert Finney played something oh, called my. The First Citizen. And uh, it was a tremendously exciting production by Peter Hall, who died last week. Um, really wonderful. And I, I watched him with awe every night from the wings. Uh, I think we, most of us did. He was such a tremendous actor, technician, and... and Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you, you can see I'm a little confused when I think about Laurence Olivier. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean what a start. Time, I that mean, yeah. period of time, it was when all the famous stage actors wanted to work at Stratford and, and, and stretch their, their limbs with Shakespeare. Mm. And so we got people who people have never heard of now, um, like Peggy Ashcroft and Edith Evans and... Michael Redgrave, people might have heard of, and uh, all the all the leading actors. The chap who played M in um, in the Bond films. Oh, Bernard Jeffrey Lee. Keen. and and all, they were all down there at the time. And even um, Paul Robeson came down to play Othello, of course, uh, the great Paul Robeson. And he was off. He was ill for the first week of rehearsals. And I was understudying him. Ridiculous uh, joke, I thought, on the part of the director, uh, uh, <laughs> Tony Richardson. Uh, anyway, I understood it, and I had to, had to rehearse it for a week. And that was wonderfully exciting, um, doing it with these wonderful leading players who'd done so much Shakespeare and were so professional. And, uh, so wasn't I lucky? I'm telling you that. I mean, you what training ground? That's unbelievable. That's, to, yeah, that's, it right. doesn't get any better than three, that. Three years of being in the middle of all that oh. stuff was just 
absolutely wonderful. We didn't think of it as training ground then, of course. Right, right. We were just we were young kids yeah. being absolutely enthralled by where we were and what we were hearing and doing. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, I'm, I'm blown away by that. Well, look, you referenced Bernard Lee, uh, the great Bernard Lee played. I mean, so you took me into the world of Bond here. Um, we look obviously people know you from For Your Eyes Only, but that wasn't the first time you crossed paths with Roger Moore. That you go back to his oh, yeah. saint days, right? Well, you know this, yes. Uh, yeah, I did uh, two episodes of The Saint, I think. I believe so. Yeah. And then I did a Randall and Hopkirk, and Persuaders was the other one, wasn't it? Yes, Persuaders was another one. Uh, Randall and Hopkirk and Persuaders. So I'd done about four shows with him uh, before that, uh, before the Bond film came along, and so we knew each other to say hello, and he and he. he he always liked me a bit, which was nice, and he, he called me Mr. National Theatre um, <laughs> as a nice tease, because yeah. I did work at the National Theatre. Yeah. Um, and when we got to do the film together, we were really friendly then, I mean, mm. properly friendly, spending most evenings together, and, and which was a great compliment. As I was, of course, great friends with Charlton Heston, um, oh, who wow. nobody these days seems to have heard of. Uh, he was my first interview. He was my very first interview in the biz. So, yeah, I know exactly. Well, that was, <laughs> you were lucky, weren't yes, you? Because he gave well, a wonderful well, interview. He was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah, he was a um, great guy. What was Roger Moore like compared on the set of The Saint to whenever you worked with him in For Your Eyes Only? Much different or pretty much the same guy? No, he was the same man. Same guy. Uh, absolutely the same man. Welcome with that lovely smile and uh, shook your hand when he first arrived and all that and made all the right noises and said, oh, that was a lovely take, and encouraged you all the time, and constant jokes, constant jokes. I was wondering, if he funny. was he the biggest cut-up on, on any set, Roger Moore? I don't know what a cut-up means. Oh, like a jokester, a prankster? Oh, jokester. Yeah, yeah, he was a great... He he didn't use it indiscriminately. He didn't <laughs> just go around making jokes. He used them in order to lighten the atmosphere. Mm. Uh, if things got tense and tight, uh, which often happens on sets, as you know, uh, he would he would come up with something really amusing and uh, make everybody relax and uh, realize that actually, you know, this was a job of work and and uh, let's stop getting uptight about it. But that's one of his one of his great talents uh, and his charming personality. I mean, he was truly charming, and he didn't put on the charm; he just was. And uh, everybody, everybody loved him. And uh, why not? He was Bond. He was Bond. Well, that was you worked with him in the '60s on The Saint. You worked with him in the '80s on For Your Eyes Only. But in between there, in the '70s, why don't you give my interview? You know more about ah. me than I do. <laughs> I do my homework. I do my homework a little bit. I was interested in the fact that you were almost Bond in the '70s. You came well. I mean, I don't know how near it was. Okay, um, I tested for Bond. Yeah, and uh, uh, along with I think about three other people, I don't know who they were, so uh, don't ask me. Um, but at, when we were doing the test, uh, we knew that uh, Roger was in the frame, and so we knew that really there was not much point in doing the test because Roger was going to get it, and Roger did get it, and quite rightly too. Um, but I did my best in the test, and I suppose that test is knocking around in, on some dusty cutting room floor somewhere. Um, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see how bad I was. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I wasn't Bond. 
was it the romantic scene that tripped you up a bit? No, it wasn't. It was a, okay. a rather dull sort of um, threatening scene involving the use of a revolver, which I had to point at someone okay. at some point. I read an I older interview the with you. Of it, but, uh, no, it wasn't a romantic scene, no. I could have done that. <laughs> I read an older <laughs> interview with you, and I, that was the impression I got, but I wasn't sure. Um, so for, Okay, so for your eyes only, um, you didn't have to audition for that. Cubby Broccoli, the producer, he wanted you for that, didn't he? He wanted me for it, yeah, and nice. I didn't. You're quite right. He didn't have to audition me. Um, I was away in Greece doing another film, a rather terrible film, um, and I was suddenly called on the Friday night saying, can't you get to London uh, for, for uh, Sunday morning? And I said, absolutely not. I'm in Corinth. I'm shooting tomorrow. It's Saturday. Um, uh, I, I can't get across. And they said, well, try, try and do it. And so I went to the first assistant and said, what work have I got to do tomorrow? He said, you've got three major scenes to do. I said, could I get them done in the morning? He said, well, he said, if you're quick. Um, <laughs> so I said, I'm going to be quick. Can I go at lunchtime? And he said, yes, if, you get, if you're quick, you can go. And we won't expect to see you till Monday. Well, I was quick. I, and I took a car straight away from Corinth into Athens, got a plane to Frankfurt, another plane to, to uh, Paris, and another one to London. And I made the interview. And when I got there, it was Sunday morning, very unusual to have interviews. Uh, of course, his wife was there, who was the main influence on Cubby. And all the makeup people and the wardrobe people, and they, were, they were all there. And the producers, and uh, apart from Cubby. And so it was obvious they were quite serious about it. And I had the hint, don't smoke, Julian. Don't smoke when you're there. Because I used to smoke. I don't anymore. I used to smoke. So I obeyed that rule, and uh, I did the interview, and off went Cubby and um, and and Dana, his wife, and the, uh, the costume bloke called Tiny Nichols said, you've got it, Julian. I said, how do you know? He said, I could see it in Dana's eyes. <laughs> and, and indeed, I got it. And uh, nice. so I was on the plane that night back, uh, and I started shooting again on the Monday morning. So that was a tremendous... Uh, change of my theatrical fortunes. This was coming right out of sort of the silliness and the sci-fi of Moonraker. Did you get a sense uh, during production that they that they really wanted something different, that they were going for a, a harder-edged bond in this one? Uh, I don't know about harder-edged, but the reason... I, my, I personally think that's a very good film for your eyes only. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I put it down to is that they decided... Uh, you know all this when I'm saying it now, um, to stop all the sort of the magic stuff, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, pressing a button and a building blows up 500 yards away, uh, pressing a button on your car. You know, mm -hmm. all those things are funny things in cars and all that. The gadgets, They decided yeah. to abandon all that, and they made it so that James Bond had to be able to do everything better than anybody else, and which is a reasonable thing, a human achievement thing so he could ski better he could shoot better he could jump better he could climb better he could bobsleigh better yeah, all those things and um uh and that's for me why the film was successful also that they had two protagonists uh, who and you didn't know which was the bad man to, at the beginning of the film it seems as if the other one was um and then it was revealed that i was and that was okay. The same sort of thing I had to do in Indiana Jones. Uh, 
uh, I was a good guy until suddenly I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you led me right into it. I mean, uh, your work with Lucasfilm, first of all, um, I, I got to ask you about Empire Strikes Back. I didn't ba work with Lucas. No, I, I got to ask you about Empire Strikes Back, though, real quick. I mean, you referenced it. Um, on screen, you mentioned it's a smaller role, but we don't, in the novel, we know Veers dies, but not on screen. Um, so he, well, he could be alive today, right? He didn't die in the book, and he didn't die on screen. So there was a possibility of bringing him back. The next film, uh, they said, we've got a tiny little scene for you. Are you free? And I said, no, I'm not free. I was working in the theater, I think. I can't remember what it was. I'm not free. So I didn't get the second film. And mm. the, the, so the part was cut and played by an anonymous, anonymous uh, non-speaking person. I think I think it was your next door neighbor. I think it was Robert Watts that put the he, helmet well, on. He was he was the guy who got me in. Yeah, I think he played but Robert Watts. Who yes, who was the executive producer. Yeah, he I think he stepped in for you. Executive producer on the first Star Wars film when everyone was saying it's not going to be, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, and he kept on saying it's going to work. <laughs> you must keep going. You oh. must keep going. This is the most wonderful thing, and it's going to be a, a great big franchise. And they said, oh, no, it's not. He said, yes, it is. <laughs> And he was right, wasn't he? And he got me the uh, the part in uh, in Star Wars, which was, you know, it could have been any young, upstanding young actor. Yeah. And he got it for me, which was wonderful. And so I had an in when it came to Indiana Jones. The in, only the in being that I knew Robert Watts. Mm -hmm. And I had to audition for that like mad mm -hmm. uh, for Indiana Jones. And happily, I got it. First of all, I went up for the... Uh, for the Nazi sergeant, which is wonderfully played by Michael Byrne, uh, who has such an evil face. It's absolutely wonderful. He really looked like a horrible <laughs> Nazi. Uh, and I didn't get that. And I was really sad I didn't get it, uh, but completely understood why Michael did. And then they suddenly phoned me up and said, would you come and read for Donovan? I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. Anyway, I did, and I put on a cod American accent and did my best. Um, and I didn't actually have to audition. I just simply had to be interviewed uh, doing an American accent, which I did. And I got the part. I mean, aren't I lucky? I'm so glad for, uh, I mean, we're so glad you got the role. You said in a recent interview that Donovan is your favorite baddie of all. And you played a lot of them, so that's saying a whole lot. What makes Donovan stand out? He was, he was such a, a, a well-developed character, and he was funny, too. Uh, for your eyes only, Christophers was never funny, uh, but, he, but Walter Donovan was sometimes really funny, uh, with one-liners out of the back of his <laughs> mouth, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and I loved doing him, and obviously I loved working with Sean and with Harrison. Uh, you know, you, 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 you're not unlucky when you play with actors of that caliber on the screen, and you're being directed by someone called Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may, I mean, and it's the, the, that's like the Mount Rushmore of Hollywood. you got Spielberg, you got Lucas producing, you've got unbelievable. Harrison Ford unbelievable. and Sean Connery. How, I mean, when you get into a project like that, how do you feel? I mean, could you even believe it when you were in the middle of it? Yes, I could believe it, because I'm <laughs> a very good actor. <laughs> and and I, I knew Silly Sean question, already. Right? Uh, uh, and I knew that I'd been chosen by Steven Spielberg to play this part. Yeah. It was—it's was, always frightening playing parts. Well, I wasn't pr frightened by the 
the enormousness of it. Mm. Now, I wasn't, I, I think the word you're looking for, wasn't I in awe? Mm. And I wasn't in awe. I just got on with them jolly well and, and I hope did my job. Uh, but I wasn't in awe, no. That um, you mentioned, you referenced the fact that he's very similar to Christodoulos, and the fact that it's kind of like the good guy at the beginning, but then of uh, something tweaks. Do you find yourself when you're approaching these characters, do you maybe um, amp up the charm a little bit on the front end, or how do you approach it? Do I up the charm? Yeah, because they're. I mean, we gotta we gotta make sure that we think he's the good guy at the beginning. Do you kind of? Well, well, yeah, sure. Well, it's, I don't know whether no, it's not difficult, you know, because uh, when you play a, a, um, a baddie, um, you've got to work out why he's the baddie. He is, after all, a human being. And I remember being in a film with Alec Guinness uh, when he played Hitler, Hitler of the Last Ten Days, it was called. And he made a very reasonable person out of Hitler. He made him into a human being. Uh, we all knew what we, he really was, but he made him into a human being. And when you play a baddie, You've got to think, why is, why is he like this? And what, what, what is his motive for doing this? And although it may be a base motive in other, in other people's eyes, uh, it's an, uh, one which he wishes to achieve and will do all sorts of things to achieve it. And so it wasn't difficult to be the person that Walter Donovan was, which was a, a very charming, uh, very successful businessman, with a tremendous interest in archaeology and history, um, who was a, a studied and an intellectual man, uh, had a beautiful wife and uh, a very lovely apartment in New York. Um, it wasn't difficult to be that and carry on being it <laughs> until he was discovered being, as being horrible. But then he didn't stop being what he was. He was still the same guy. It just you knew that he was a, he was a naughty person. However, I have to say to you, as I've said to many people before, what would you or any of your readers or listeners do for the secret of eternal life? Yeah. That's what he was after. And I challenge anyone to, uh, to deny that they would go a very long way in order to get that. He even makes that point in the film. I mean, he says, well, as soon as Hitler goes the way of the dodo, I'm still going to be, I'm still going to be right. drinking. Yeah, that's that's, right. uh, that's an amazing point. You mentioned uh, I got to ask you about Walter Donovan's lovely wife. Yes, well, as you know, it was my wife. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that came about because uh, she, uh, I'd started doing it, and I hadn't started doing it yet. And I read uh, the, the first scene which she's in, and I said. You could play that. She said, "Oh, I'd love to be on the set, just with 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 uh, with uh, um, Harrison Ford. Uh, what a lovely, glamorous thing to do!" And uh, I mentioned it in passing. Or either said it would be a wonderful idea, but uh, only in a sort of a passing, not not suggesting she did it. And they did it. They cast her, and. Uh, she was never so terrified in her life. She's worked with all. She's worked with Richard Harris for God's sake. She knows what fear on stage is, and, and, and uh, it was her most terrifying day. But uh, she came on and looked absolutely glorious. You know about the billing on that film, of course. She's billed as yeah. <laughs> she's... You, you know about the billing. The, the, the credits at the end. Tell my listeners in case they're not familiar with it. Okay, uh, at the end uh, because it. She was quite well-known actress over here, and I love her. Yes, 
she, she, she was quite well known. And um, so she said, I don't really want to be um, uh, known for doing this. It was lovely to do it. Uh, so they worked out a scheme, which uh, when um, the credits came up, it was uh, Walter Donovan played by Julian Glover, Mrs. Donovan played by Mrs. Glover. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's still that's still there. I love I've got to say, it. not a lot of people know that, but they do now. <laughs> well, we're look. I, I also do the IndieCast, and and you know we're you know we mention things on the IndieCast, so we go through these things with a fine tooth comb. We've seen these films so many times now. We're always wondering about what we haven't seen in the film. I know when we get to the Canyon of the Crescent Moon, there's a bit more to that than we actually see on film. Were you there? On what? 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 When what are you they, talking about? When they blew up the canyon, the whole scene, the whole deleted scene. So when you guys go into the canyon, there's a scene oh. where the Nazis blow up the canyon to get in there. I, I, we never got anywhere near that scene. Got it. Okay. Got it. It, it just it's never going to happen. Because okay. uh, we've seen, we've seen the video. And they were quite right. Well, we've seen video of them like actually filming it. Like We've seen they, the explosions. They filmed... Well, nothing to do with me, nothing to do with us. Got it. Uh, even Denham Elliott didn't know about it. Oh, okay. I heard about it about five years later. Oh, really? Did they do that? But like you know, he cut the whole of the sequence um, right. uh, in the aeroplane and the Zeppelin. Uh, there was a great sort of fight that went on in the air. And the lovely actor who played it, a called Freddy Yeager, um, playing the th- First World War ace, um, his part was cut to absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. He lost the whole part. And instead of which, they put in the wonderful uh, stagecoach scene of him uh, going under the lorry and, um, you know, when he, and he keeps his hat on, going underneath the lorry. Mm-hmm. You know, that sequence. They put that in instead. Wow! <laughs> weren't they right? Uh, and they filmed all that later with motorbikes and all that stuff uh, out in out in America after we'd finished making the film. Yeah. So uh, things come and things go. I mean, I lost a, a major scene in Game of Thrones because of time or something. I don't know what it was, which I was quite upset about. But there's no point in getting upset about it. It's out there. You've done it. You've been paid. Yeah. So don't grumble. Yeah, and they're always cutting it for pacing. I know Spielberg cut that for pacing, too. Is there anything else in Last Crusade that you know you shot but we we never got to see? No, there was nothing. So every, okay, nothing. so that so as okay. far as I was concerned, the whole of Crusades, my part was included, and I was really pleased about that. When I was doing the scene in in uh, Indiana Jones in the desert, which we filmed in Spain, in the uh, Almeria, um, I, I fulfilled a lifelong ambition of standing in the top of a tank and pointing forward like Rommel did. And uh, so that was a lasting ambition. Anyway, at the end of that that day, Spielberg said to me, Julian, you know, your American accent is so good. He said, you'll never stop making American films after this. And I've never made another. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and that he, is true. He doesn't get them all right. He doesn't get them all right. Well, yeah, as if yeah, it's an incredible film. Look, you mentioned all these different things. We know you're going to be in Cincinnati. What what other projects do you have coming up? Do you have anything else in the pipeline right now? We can no, look I don't to at the moment. I have to be honest. I don't at the moment. You're taking a I break. Have, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, I have a great hope for something, but <laughs> I can't talk about it. Well, um, six seasons of Game of Thrones. I mean, you put the time well, in. Well, that, that wasn't. So. Bad. I was lucky to get six, wasn't I? Yeah. Well, usually everybody. <laughs> You sure everybody dies on that show. <laughs> it was a good death, wasn't it? Oh, stabby, stabby. <laughs> stabby, stabby. Quite a lot of blood. And hot. But the irony of that, of course, was that I was the oldest man, oldest character in it, and I was killed by a lot of children. I, I saw it. A lovely irony. <laughs> there you go. Well, hopefully, if it, hopefully things will go much better in Cincinnati. I'm telling you what, it's been an honor talking really, to you today. Will you be there? I will be there. I'm going to come up and say hi to you. I'm looking just forward to it. Come and say hello and t- remind me who you are. I will. <laughs> I will absolutely, Mr. Glover. Thank, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Okay, no problem. Bye bye. Stage, television, and film history right there, kids. Oh, all of it. One of the finest actors of all time. Now, you folks who follow me over on the IndieCast, you know what a huge Indiana Jones fan I am. Uh, so to be able to get inside the mind, even just for a little while, of one of Indy's villains, man, that is some cool stuff right there. Hoping to touch base with Julian Glover in Cincinnati. If I do, you're going to hear it on my recap of the Cincinnati Comic Expo in the weeks ahead. Uh, You'll see it, obviously, on the social media pages as well for Comic Book Central. So big thanks to Julian Glover for stopping by today. Uh, And I hope they bring Veers back in the new Star Wars films. Look, you never know. They're bringing everybody back, right? So why not Julian Glover? That'd be be very cool. Hey, I want to bring you back specifically next week for a sci-fi celebration. Because next week on Comic Book Central, the Doctor is in celebrating 30 years of Star Trek The Next Generation with the chief medical officer of the USS Enterprise. She played Dr. Beverly Crusher. She is a sci-fi legend. Gates McFadden will beam into the lair to talk some Trek and so much more. That episode is going to reach us at warp speed before you know it. Until then, always choose wisely. Keep reading those comics, and thanks for joining me here in the lair. Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. This podcast is intended for entertainment and education purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Comic Book Central and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivations 3.0 Imported License. All of the content and names are registered trademarks and copyrights of the respective holders. I'm not a historian. I have no idea what it looks like. Which one is it? Let me choose. Thank you, Doctor. Certainly is the cup of the King of Kings. Eternal life.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.